You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, world. What separated your deep ball from everybody else? My deep ball, it has a little secret sauce to it, man. <laughs> I never get too high, never get too low, but just keep moving. The, the whole story is Carlos never beat me in any kind of sports in, in, in high school. Welcome to the Orange is the New Black Podcast. I'm your host, Ace Boogie. My co-host, Zim, is not with me. I'm flying solo because we were unable to get our scheduling together, uh, mostly due to me. It's really my fault. So if you guys are going to blame someone, blame me because I had to go out of town this past weekend uh, for a friend's birthday party. Uh, but what we're going to do is I'm going to go ahead and let you guys hear the reaction that I had after the Ravens game. And me and Zim will definitely be coming to you guys again this week together to give our collective thoughts on certain situations. But be sure to follow him at Zim underscore Hude on Instagram. On Twitter, it's at Zim Hude, all one word. And also be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel. We also have a Hugh Jackson interview on there. So if you are listening and you want to actually see the video, you want to see Hugh's face and all of that, please be sure to subscribe to his channel for sure. But without further ado, I'll go ahead and get into my post-game reaction after the Ravens game. Welcome to New Stripe City, a YouTube channel for diehard Bengals fans. I am your host, Ace Boogie, and we're here to talk about the post-game recap now. Normally, I would have dropped one yesterday, uh, was out of town and was traveling back, and then the Lakers game came on, so didn't get home until late last night. Uh, so that's why you haven't heard from me. I'm not running or anything. We never run. We went 2-14 and 14 last year. There was no running last year. But let's talk about this game. So before I go into anything, I just want to say this. A lot of people have been talking about Zach Taylor in terms of his play calling and, and things like that. I don't think that Zach Taylor's play calling from what I saw was the issue here. I think the issue was a couple of things. The first person that I have to be critical with in this game uh, is Joe Burrow, and it starts here. We pretty much saw Joe Burrow not play like a rookie, and it was the exact opposite in this game. He was obviously flustered with the blitz and just everything, but he had three turnovers in this game, and two of them was from him holding on to the ball too long. When you talk about those fumbles, I went into this game saying that this is a defense in the Ravens that loves to, to cause fumbles, and that happened in this game. It ended up returning two of them, I believe, or one of them for a touchdown. Um, and then there was an interception, right? And some people are going to try to blame A.J. and stuff like that. I honestly think that they're just not on the same page. I think A.J. Green is in an uncomfortable situation. He said that earlier through the season. I think that what – and I'm not I'm, I'm not speaking here based on any information that I know. I'm just making an educated guess. It's not from a source or anything like that. I think the issue is – A.J. Green was hurt early to begin the season. There's been a lot of pressure from him from, I feel like, the fans and the organization for him to prove himself in this season. And that resulted in him missing time, not having a real connection with Burrow, not having time to actually get in shape and play. And he's just really in an uncomfortable situation. Um, no matter how you feel about it, I understand whether you feel either way. 
but it just seemed like he was uncomfortable. It didn't even look like he knew where the ball was going or anything like that. So there, we have to start there. The offense turning the ball over against this Ravens defense did not help this team at all whatsoever. That's on Joe Burrow. The offensive line, not good. Obviously, the offensive line has to share um, some of the blame in this loss as well. You know, they're really just letting Joe Burrow sit back and take shots. And at some point, you just can't have that happen. I don't know what needs to change. I don't think you can change anything, but you have to send some sort of message that this isn't going to be allowed to be ha- to happen. So Joe Burrow can get a pass in this game for the turnovers that he had because he's just a rookie. He's going to make those mistakes regardless, right? We have grown accustomed and maybe we were too spoiled to think that they wouldn't happen, but they kind of showed yesterday. When you talk about this defense, the defense did a great job. I really want to give kudos to Lou Anarumu, the defense, the players. They really went into it with a great game plan against Lamar Jackson. Some people might be looking at the, the score box or the box score and saying, wow, the Bengals were killed and stuff like that. Lamar Jackson did not play a good game. He did not play a good game. I counted at least four to five interceptions he should have probably had in that game that were dropped and stuff like that. He did have one, but you know, most of the Ravens scoring that they had in this game, it was really on plays where Mark Andrews made like a third down to convert or or something like that. It wasn't that they just completely obliterated the defense. The defense did a great job, a tremendous job. They just really didn't get anything from our offense. And so when you talk about this game, this was a game where the Ravens didn't even play as the best version of themselves. Obviously, on defense they did, but they didn't come to play offensively. If if that would have happened, this game could have been 60-3 to three easily. So you saw some bright spots from the Bengals' defense, but this team is far away and clearly not ready uh, to compete. And I'm going to eat a lot of crow, and I'll take it, because I did truthfully think that this Bengals' offense had turned the corner and that they could come in and at least make this a shootout. And I think, obviously, if they would have put up some points, this game would have been far closer than it was because forever it was 17-0. to There were so many opportunities for this offense to come out and put up some points, and they just didn't do it. And when you're in the position that you're in where you're not putting up points, your defense is eventually going to wear down. But when you think about it, the defense didn't even really get scored on if it wasn't for the offense putting the Ravens in great field position in most of those plays, with the exception of, I think, maybe one score. Uh, one of them was even, you know, a returned fumble on on offense for a touchdown. So the defense came to play. The offense was not there. And with this offense not being ready, I'm not sure what they can do. Now, some people could point to the play calling. You have to give the Ravens defense credit. I mean, they came with the blitz. It was unstoppable. They were blitzing guys left and right. Even when they went five wide, they were blitzing corners and and stuff like that. And, you know, the Bengals just couldn't really adjust to it. They started to try to throw screens and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's about uh, players executing, lanes opening. You know, when you get down that much, that early, it's really hard to keep your running game going. And I'm not going to be the guy that every time we lost, I'm going to say that it was on play calling, this and that. And I've even talked to my cousin, who's not a Zach Taylor fan, And he said that he didn't feel like it was on the play calling either. He said that he felt like Joe Burrow held the ball too long with a bad offensive line, had some had some bad turnovers there and the offense just gave them nothing. Uh, But Luana Rumu caught a good defense. 
this team to me is obviously not ready. I'm sorry for giving you guys the false hope that I thought that this team was much better on offense. And it really just turns out to be that the Jaguars just had a bad defensive line. That's really all it really boils down to. And, you know, the Ravens, although they have talent on that defensive line, sacks aren't really their you know, coming into this game, sacks weren't really their their calling card per se. Not to say that they were a bad defense, but it just wasn't their calling card. And we just made them look like, I don't know, the Chargers because they were just flying off the edge. Um, so many blitzes that were coming. And if you want to put it on that part of the play calling that they weren't ready for that, I could kind of see that. But it just really – there definitely were screens. Someone was – was saying that there weren't screens. There were screens. I counted a couple of screens that were run, um, definitely to the running backs and stuff like that, and they just didn't work. Like, they they were called, but just didn't work. So our defense kept us in the game. Um, I think that the offense just really struggled. That's really all there is to really be said and done with that. Where this goes moving forward, who knows? I think that Zach Taylor, if he does not do something with Jim Turner or he does not send some sort of message through to the staff and he just keeps these guys and keeps trotting guys out there and we continue the status quo, you're playing a dangerous game because we just saw what happened to Dak Prescott. We just saw what happened to several other quarterbacks when they get hit too much. You can't have that happen to Joe Burrow. Like it's Joe Burrow is the franchise right now. He's the guy that you have to take care of. You can't ruin him. You can't have his internal clock get messed up because he's taking so many hits. You have to remember when these guys come out of college and go into the draft, technically they're playing two seasons basically back-to-back, the college season, the NFL season, and you can't have this guy taking shots and hits on his body like that and expect him to be able to stay in there. You just can't have that happen. And that's what I worry about the most is that, since Jim Turner is some somewhat related to Zach Taylor, he's prioritizing that friend that friendship and that relationship with his family member, quote unquote, over Joseph Burrow. And, and that just can't happen. And if that's what it comes down to, then you know, as a Bengals fan, I would say that we would have to move on. I'm not blaming Zach for the play calling, but when you look at this offensive line, when you see Joe Burrow taking these hits and you continue to let him get hit like that and there's just no consequence and there's no consistency in terms of where this blame is being aligned, I'm just tired of hearing it blamed on Burrow. Yes, Burrow held on to the ball long. Every sack was not on Burrow. Majority of the sacks are never always on Burrow. There may be one or two here in each game that he takes that's on him. Compared to the eight or this other six, like, we've got to talk about it. We've got to talk about it. We've got to be real about that. And I don't feel like he's been real with that situation as a head coach. And like I said, when you're dealing with that, with a franchise quarterback, the future, that's just not, not something that you can do. Like, if he gets hurt, what happens? What's the plan then? So for me, that's the only reason that you would have to question the head coaching position with the decision-making and who he's loyal to. Is he loyal to the players or is he loyal to his coaches? And it seems like he's been more loyal to the coaches, which I could kind of understand, but the certain things that are kind of coming out here, whether it was Cordy Glenn last year, and I know we don't all feel the fondest of Cordy Glenn, but you just think about the weird stories that have come out from 
it seems like this coaching staff and even before Cordy Glenn. So if you don't want to take the Cordy Glenn example as something to hold on to, think about Christian Westerman. Think about these other guys that had issues with Jim Turner that just left. Think about that. And then you also talk about the Carlos Dunlap benching. I don't know how that was handled. It just didn't seem like it was handled in the best way. And then you also talk about the AJ Green situation. I don't know if that was a benching. I don't know if it was an injury. I don't know how the injury was handled coming into the season, putting him in an uncomfortable situation. That just doesn't seem like an ideal coaching environment for the players that is going to help them be successful. And so for me, that's what I take from this game. Obviously, this is not going to be a year. I'm not going to keep fluffing you guys up saying that this is going to be a year that the Bengals are going to go out and you know go to the playoffs or anything like that. They've got things to figure out from a coaching perspective because three points in an NFL game is is crazy. And I give all the credit to the Ravens. They played a hell of a game, but it wasn't like that game was out of reach. Like if the Bengals would have at least scored a touchdown, you know, some field goals. And, and that's the other thing. I think Zach was aggressive and made the right call early on in the game when they had their only successful really drive of the game when they went for it on fourth down. I think that was the right call. But this offensive line, these mistakes that are being had, I'm not sure if they're, if it's on the coaching staff. I don't know who has the power. I can't tell you guys. I don't have any sources there. And I think that that's something that we need to know from the front office. Like, is this a front office thing that said, hey, you only have this much money allocated for the offensive line? Or was it that Jim Turner said, these guys can do it? We don't know that. It's been sold to us and framed to us as this is the offensive line that can do it. And clearly everyone and their mama knows that that's not the case. And so this is year five of the Bengals altogether, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's the front office, just not being able to put together our offensive line. And that's the most frustrating part about it, because you you tend to feel like they could have used some of that capital, at least in free agency or from the draft on better linemen. They haven't hit in the draft on them. They've traded for them. It hasn't worked out. And essentially, they're just really satisfied with what they had. I mean, when you look at it from an encompassing perspective and it's just been bad, it's just been bad. There's been no solution for it. And we're in year five now. And when you look at the Browns, I said this last night on Twitter, you look at what the Browns did. They had a bad line, just like we did. They went out, they drafted Tristan Wirfs. They went out, they signed a Jack Conklin. This is someone that we could have had as well. They went out and brought in Brian Callahan or Bill Callahan, Brian Callahan's father, which I don't know why we didn't hire him ourselves, but hey, it is what it is. So those were things that they did, and now they have completely transformed their line, and now they're able to actually execute their offense. Now, some people might talk about the scheme. I think that it may be the fact that the scheme just does not fit this offensive line. You don't have enough time for these routes to develop. You don't have enough time for these wide receivers to separate. You don't have enough time for Joe Mixon to find holes. And think about it. I talked on this channel and said when they got rid of Frank Pollock that that was a mistake. Joe Mixon felt like that was a mistake. And we're seeing that right now. So going from this game, like I said, got to give the reverence a respect. Clearly, I was wrong. I was way off. 33-30, that was not even close. Uh, but we'll see what happens moving forward. We have to go ahead and take on, I think, the Colts this week. So we'll see how they bounce back. 
But they're going to have to make some decisions. I'm not going to predict that they're going to do anything because they've shown us in the past that they aren't. I think Zach Taylor is still going to be safe for this season. However, I think that he will finish out the season. And if they do want to go into a different direction, maybe they do that. I also talked about Hugh yesterday. And I think people just took it as, hey, you know, you want Hugh Jackson for head coach. I was just saying it's obvious that he would be interested in any potential opening with the Bengals. I mean, it doesn't have to be head coach. It could be offensive coordinator, offensive assistant, wide receivers coach. That man just wants to coach. And I think that he said some telling things. And if you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen to certain things that he said. He said that he felt like Andrew Whitworth should have been a guy that they kept. And he felt like if he would have stayed, that would have been a priority for him because he said that the entire offense hinged off of Andrew Whitworth and his ability to block. He also talked about protecting Joe Burrow. That has to be number one. He didn't want to get into specifics or cause any issues, but he said that you have to protect him. Um, And then he said some other things. He knows how to get certain things out of players, AJ Green, um, Geo, all of these guys. And he has a lot of he has a, knowledge, a lot of knowledge that I think that he could pass over. But, you know, this is a different staff. He may not have familiarity with you. That may not be a possibility. So I'm just saying when it comes to the next staff that may potentially come in, if this thing doesn't get turned around, I think it wouldn't hurt to have a guy like Hugh Jackson there with all of his knowledge of the game and what he can do because he was an offensive mastermind when he was here in 2015. So with that being said, let me take a look at some of this stuff. Just checking the comments real quick. But yeah, Bengals lose. They get demolished by a Ravens defense that clearly they were not ready for, and they just smoked us. And it was the exact opposite of what kind of happened last time. It's more so just that Ravens defense just murdered us, and Lamar Jackson they played good against and still lost in blowout fashion. So this. All right, guys, so that was my recap of the game, and I made a mistake on there. I said Tristan Wurst, but I was actually talking about Jedrick Wills Jr., so sorry about that. That was the other lineman that was being hyped up around that time. Uh, But, you know, some other things have come out since then. We've heard kind of mum things from Zach Taylor on Monday about the status of A.J. Green, so we'll have to see where that goes. Uh, Honestly, it just just seems like a weird situation, and it's sad to really see that certain fans are turning on A.J. Green, and Zim also talked about this as well. And I think that when it comes to A.J. Green, this is a guy that put his neck out for this franchise. Now, I understand people feel like he's been hurt, he's been injured, and, you know, they're they're ready to move on and, and things like that. Sometimes it's not about that, right? Like, my Los Angeles Lakers... We just won a championship. It's been 10 years, but we won a championship. But one thing that I want to speak to is what Jeannie Buss did when she came in. When Jeannie Buss first came in and Kobe Bryant was past his prime, she went ahead and paid him anyway, right? And the whole meaning behind that was not that they expected Kobe to get better at that age or anything like that. She wanted to send a message to other star players, players on the current team, And this was a time where they were trying to attract stars to L.A., where they wanted to send the message that, hey, we're loyal to the players. Right. And when you look around the NFL, you look at the Arizona Cardinals, you see what they're doing with Larry Fitzgerald. That's something that they should be doing with A.J. Green. Now, I understand it's a business. Things are different, but that's how you develop culture. 
that's how you send messages to other players and get them to want to actually come to your team. Now, no one's saying to give him $25 million a year or something like that, but the fact that he's been in this situation, and I think some people are overlooking, let's just talk about the facts here, right? No speculation or anything like that, because I think a lot of people are just looking at what's being produced out there and not really looking at the facts. The first fact, A.J. Green hasn't played football in a year and a half. We all know that. The second fact, A.J. Green had that same hamstring injury tweaked before the season. So this was an injury that he's had. They've known that he had it and all of that, right? This kept him out from being able to practice with Joe Burrow, from being able to do anything. I don't know if, if you guys have ever had a hamstring injury. It's not an easy injury. I've had one before. I tore one in high school when I ran track. You literally never know when your hamstring is good to go. The only way to test it, uh, from my knowledge, at least back in the mid-2000s, was to try to run again. And so I actually pulled my hamstring, caused me to limp and all kind of stuff, and I was out for, for weeks, right? And so I thought that I was good. Everything was going okay in practice. And then we had a track meet. And, you know, I I used to run the 100 and the 200 meter dash, right? So I was a sprinter. I get ready. I'm thinking that I'm good to go. Uh, I start to race. I immediately re-aggravate the hamstring. I tear it again. I start limping. That can happen at any time. Like hamstring injuries aren't, aren't easy to gauge when you're ready to go. And so I think one thing that happened is AJ has been out of the league for a year and a half. He's got that itch. He obviously had the itch and wanted to get back on the field. He obviously has had this negative stereotype put on him by not only the media and our fan base that he's a guy that can't stay healthy. So what do people in those situations do? When you look at Tyler Eifert, you look at similar situations we've had, they want to play. They want to prove the naysayers wrong. And I think that uh, based on that, I think based on the fact that the team committed $18 million to him this season, he felt that he owed it to the fans and everyone to go out there. And yes, like it is ultimately his choice, but think about what happened last season when he set out with injuries and people started to ridicule and question him and stuff like that. So I think that he went into this feeling like, you know, he owed it to the team. The other thing is there's been no timeline for chemistry. And he said these things. He's come out and said that this is a new system that is way more complex that he's not used to, which people overlooked because you got to think about it with him getting hurt last season in camp, that means that he wasn't able to learn the offense. And I don't know if you guys have ever played football before, and I'm not speaking on down on those who haven't, and I, let alone, have never even tried to learn an NFL offense. But just at a high school level, it's hard to learn all the plays, especially when you're used to a certain offense that you've played in for a while and you immediately change it. So there's that. There's also the fact that he just has never had any time with Joe Burrow. Like, guys have to have some sort of chemistry built with these guys. And he said that. He's gone out on record and said he, him and Joe aren't on the same page and he's not comfortable. He's literally said those exact words and people are just not listening to them. And I'm not trying to make excuses for A.J. Green here, but just listen to what I'm saying. The other thing is with the hamstring injury, it seems he's noticeably slower. You know what would make someone noticeably slower? An injury. A hamstring injury. Um, And so 
for me, I think it's a combination of all of those things that pull together that have given us what we are seeing right now. And I think that as a result, he's been put in a, a difficult situation to really change the narrative. And so when he goes out and, and people talk about him not showing effort and stuff like that, like that's just crazy to me because we've seen for years errant passes be thrown to him by Andy Dalton and he's never given up on plays and stuff like that. We don't even know that if on that play, and I'm not just trying to grasp for straws here, but we don't know if he pulled his hamstring on that play. Obviously, he went out the game and didn't return, but we don't know if it was on that play. We don't know when it was because when you pull your hamstring, you kind of pull up, um, and it looked kind of awkward uh, when he was running with the defenders, and I could also see it being that he didn't want to try to tackle anyone because he was worried about hurting himself again especially if he's already nursing a potential injury right now. I, I could see that, right? Uh, but I, I, I can understand people saying, oh, you know, he should have showed more effort and stuff like that. But think back until when Andy Dalton tried to tackle someone uh, against the Steelers and broke his thumb, right? So just think about that. And then I think also when whenever you've heard AJ talk in interviews and stuff like that, he's always talked about, He's not like trying to go up and hit somebody like that. He's not like known for being super physical or anything like that. But what really rings to me is just that the fans just, you know, have turned on him. And it's just crazy to me because this isn't a guy that you could have as a diva wide receiver, whether it was OBJ or, or T.O. or any of these guys. He's not a guy that's going to be doing all of this. And, you know, you have to think about the situation that this man has been in his entire career and he's never he's never been a person that gets aggravated and frustrated on the sidelines and I think honestly he's frustrated because we're still dealing with the same issue that we were dealing with in 2016 the offensive line still isn't good there's you know all kind of dysfunction going on between the direction of this team this guy went through the Marvin era this guy went through all of that stuff right and it's in a situation, he's in a situation where he can't succeed, and it's not just him. There's other receivers and other players that aren't able to do what they should be doing because of certain deficiencies with this team. You look at Joe Mixon, it's another issue there where, yeah, Joe Mixon probably is a top five running back in the NFL, but he doesn't look like it behind this line, and he doesn't get the opportunities he should because of this line. How can A.J., when he's learning an offense, when he doesn't have any chemistry with Joe Burrow, when he is running through an injury, how can he be effective when the quarterback doesn't even have enough time to get him the ball? Look at the play that he, you know, was frustrated on. The blitz is there. Joe just throws it up in the air, and it's intercepted. And people that are on that sideline said that he couldn't even see where the ball was. Like, if you were at that angle, apparently, it's hard to even see where the ball was. There was no way he could have made a play on that ball. And some people are trying to compare it to, like, the John Ross um, effort and stuff like that. Go back and look at the John Ross plays from this season. That ball was in the vicinity. This ball is nowhere near him. And and some people may think, hey, you're caping for AJ and stuff like that. I just I, I don't see it. This guy has been on the team for uh, as long as he has. I think that we would have seen something like this before, and we never have. And to me, even if he has taken a step back per se, I think that we owe it to him to treat him with the respect that he deserves. This guy has given his blood, sweat, and tears to this team. And 
you know, he stuck by us. And if you bingalize a guy like A.J. Green, you can bingalize anyone. And before you try to blame it on him or something like that, when it starts to happen with guys like Carson Palmer, when it starts to happen with guys like Joe Burrow and they see how you treat a guy like A.J. Green, what do you think that they're going to be thinking in the back of their mind? So that's what I think that people should just really consider and think about here now. It could be a potential where he is traded. I don't know. I haven't spoken to him. I don't know anything. I don't think that that should be the case. To me, that would not be a smart idea. But hey, if it comes to it, it will really be a sad end to a chapter where I feel like he was not given a fair chance to go out from Cincinnati on a good note. But my hope is that he stays with the team. I think that even if he, you know, does within these, if he wants to stay for another four years or anything like that, I think that you work around that. I'm not saying give him $25 million. If he wants to take a team-friendly deal, if things don't work out this season or it's not something that's disrespectful, I think that you keep him around because this is a guy that's not only a model franchise player, he also means a lot in your locker room. It also does a lot for the, the team of Cincinnati. But if they really just truly want to blow this up, that's in their hands now. But we'll have to see what's going on. But I just honestly just didn't feel like it has really been a fair situation for him. And to see fans turn on him when there's guys out here that are diva receivers, and I think Willie Anderson said it best, you know, people complained about the diva receivers and praised A.J. Green and all of those guys, and now you're turning on them, both of them. It's not even just with A.J. Some people in Atlanta are turning on Julio now, and I think that it just it just is, is crazy to me because I remember times when guys didn't even want to commit to playing for the Bengals. Like, no one wanted to be here. This was not a desired destination. And A.J. Green, uh, Chad Johnson, and guys like that over the years have done a good job of, of changing that narrative. And to treat them like that, I think, afterwards is just, is just kind of crazy to me. So I understand you guys' frustration. I understand that you haven't seen what you've wanted from Green But some of those circumstances are out of his hands. Like, you can't control whether or not you get hurt and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of guys getting hurt around the league. But I just wanted to say that. Zim also had, um, uh, I think he spoke on this as well on his Instagram. So be sure to check that out. But we're just going to have to figure out this as a team, where we go moving forward. You know, the players, I think that Zach Taylor is playing a dangerous game. Because if you upset A.J. Green, if you upset Carlos Dunlap, if you upset some of the guys that are the veterans on this team, you're not going to have a team that's going to play for you. And that's and that's going to be an ugly situation, especially with your rookie quarterback that you have in there. And I also think, speaking on something else that Willie said, he said the Bengals fans should be okay with winning six to eight games this season. And you can't set the expectations too high because – this is a rookie quarterback. This is what we should expect. And I think we all went in, myself included, with higher expectations because it's Joe Burrow. But we have to let the situation play out. But the dangerous game that they're playing right now with letting him take this many hits, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. And you're also going to give credence to some of the other things that are going on. We saw what happened with Justin Herbert last night. That's also going to be something that's in the discussion, right? They're going to be talking about these two guys for a while. Should the Bengals have done this or should they have drafted him or that? My personal stance on it is you had no choice but to take Burrow. Based off of what happened in college, you had to take Burrow. But there's going to be other people that are going to say the Bengals should have taken that ransom. They should have used some of those other picks 
that they could have gotten Herbert with and and use those extra picks to also get linemen and, and stuff like that. But we made this decision and we have to live with it, right? I think we got to live with it. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, this is the Orange is the New Black podcast. I wanted to add on a little bit of more fresh news here at the end. So I hope you guys don't mind that I did that. Uh, me and Zim are going to be back together this week. We will be coming to you guys live. Uh, we had to reschedule one of our interviews, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but we still have some exciting content coming. I hope you guys like the new intro. Appreciate the support. You guys know where you can find me, New Stripe City on YouTube, New Stripe City on Twitter. And then, of course, you have to subscribe to the Sensi Jungle podcast to get all of this great content that's coming to you from everyone. Uh, the OBI, you know, us, Matt Minnick. So please be sure to check that out. But thank you guys for listening. And this has been the Orange is the New Black podcast.